Happy Friday, and welcome to a new episode of This Week in Apps, a weekly no-fluff, data-first roundup of interesting news and trends about mobile apps and games. I'm Ariel from AppFigures, and I have five highlights for you this week. And we'll start with Zoom. March marks a year of lockdown for many of us. A whole year. And if you remember, the first This Week in Apps opened with none other than Zoom, which exploded in popularity at that point in time. So I wanted to take a look at a year of Zoom and what that looks like. Immediately, I can tell you it looks like about 600 million downloads. That's right, 600 million downloads. So that's what we estimate. And that's a conservative estimate. Um, The majority of those, roughly 75%, came from Android, which I find to be really interesting. Now, this is global, and this is across Android and iOS. So that's kind of a big number. And it means that really everyone was using Zoom. And if you think about it, the mobile side of Zoom is not even the primary way of using Zoom. It's mostly desktop. And so just to see these numbers means that Zoom had a magnificent year. Um, Early into the pandemic, we saw Zoom's downloads hit just about 4 million a day for about a week, which is really unprecedented. And our app intelligence shows that it has not declined below a million downloads since. And that's a million downloads a day. The only little blip was just around Christmas time. So people took off and they probably didn't need to work on uh, or, or have business communication during that time, but it picked right after. So the beginning of the new year, it went back to about a million, almost a million and a half. It's getting to a million now, but that's that makes sense. Now, why Zoom and not any of the other well-known solutions like Google Meet or any of the other business versions of video chat? I personally think the success of Zoom has to do with the simplicity that is being able to join a meeting without having to log in. Even something like Google Meet, which is supposed to be for everyone, still requires a username and a password. And what if you don't have a Google account? It sounds unheard of, but at the, at the same time, if you want to break beyond the business users and to people who may not be using Gmail or may not be using Google services as much, still sounds crazy, but it is a thing, you can see why Zoom is, has the advantage. And I think if you think about Zoom pre-pandemic, it was doing pretty well. It came off an IPO. Everyone was talking, saying I think nice things about it. And again, that's because of the simplicity. I remember having to use these tools before Zoom existed, and it was always kind of a problem. It was a huge pain in the butt. Between having to pay annually and having to talk to salespeople, it wasn't just the kind of thing that you download and use. And Zoom solved all that. So when COVID happened it kind of just made sense for Zoom to be successful because it's so simple. Now, this is simplicity that in the business sense, we find it as a nice to have, but for other non-business users, the the moms, the friends, the families that want to keep in touch, the, the church groups that want to keep in touch, that was kind of a necessity, and that necessity led to it being so successful. Um, if we look at the numbers, Google Meet, which uh, used to be Google Chats and then changed names a whole bunch of times, had just about 345 million downloads at the same time span, so a little more than half of what Zoom had. And Microsoft Teams, which I see as the more business-oriented solution, which also emerged kind of victorious, if you remember last week's episode, had 210 million downloads based on our estimates. So these are still really, really, really big numbers if you compare them to 2019 for these two, but they're not nearly as good as Zoom. Now, The bottom line here is that with vaccinations, the world is heading towards a real post-pandemic era where work and social activities can resume in real life. 
But while that's going to be the case for many, it's not going to be the case for everyone. Some people are still going to find it more convenient to work from home or to stay home more or to not go out to the world more. And I think that's going to yield opportunities for apps just like Zoom. Zoom solved one problem, which is video chat. But there are so many other little problems that exist when you work from home, when you're away from a team, whether it has to do with how you socialize with them or how you um, actually deliver your work. And I think now is going to be, we're going to see just a slew of new solutions, innovative solutions that will try to solve those problems. And I hope they'll all learn from Zoom and that this little simplicity is really the key. Next up is another app that I like to look at all the time, HBO Max. We looked at it two episodes ago. Um, we looked at it earlier in the year too, but it reached a new milestone. Something that I find really exciting is that it matches revenue now with Disney Plus in the US. Now, Disney Plus is kind of the poster child for streaming. It did an amazing job going from nothing to something. Now, it's Disney, so it has a name, it has a brand, and everyone wants to get this, but their execution was pretty impeccable, and that's why they're doing so well. HBO Max is kind of doing the same thing. They don't have the same name that Disney has, but they have a variety of brands under them or, or well-known names that are giving them this sort, of, uh, this sort of push. They had Wonder Woman back in... Uh, around Christmas, and that was huge for them. That was the biggest growth they had in revenue. And then they had Tom and Jerry not too long ago, and then they had the Snyder Cut of League of Justice, um, and now they have Godzilla versus Kong, which is kind of the biggest, by far, push in revenue and downloads that they've seen. If you look at the top apps today, both by downloads and by revenue, HBO Max is number one, and that's because the new movie, Godzilla versus Kong, is what everyone is trying to see. It kind of has a cult following too, but that's a different thing for a different podcast. Number-wise, what this means is, it means that HBO Max has reached about $2 million in net revenue every weekend. And that's almost exactly what Disney has been doing for the last two weeks. And this is not something that HBO Max has been seeing consistently. They've come a long way since. Uh, if we look back to October, for example, they're looking at less than a million in weekend, sale, in weekend revenue. And that has grown and grown and grown. And what that means to me is it means to me that people are subscribing to HBO Max and they're keeping their subscription. They're not canceling it. So not only is HBO Max getting more subscribers, is it's also retaining the subscribers that it was getting. And I believe that's because of the content. It's become a content game winning in streaming. It's not just existing. And I think this matters because beyond just streaming and HBO Max and uh, good content, there's also the aspect of movie theaters because HBO Max has been putting these big movies both on HBO Max and in theaters. Godzilla vs. Kong opened in theaters a couple of days ago and had a pretty big opening according to, or in our days, in our COVID days. Um, but it's really the HBO Max side where you no longer have to go to the movies to see, to see a big movie. And that's kind of unprecedented. Now, it's happening now because it's COVID and because they want to get those movies in front of as many eyes as possible. But if this continues at the rate that it has been working, why stop? I don't see a reason why HBO Max would say, okay, the next big movie, now that we're post-pandemic, should only go to theaters because they are making consistent revenue in HBO Max and that's continuing to grow. And eventually that will eclipse the uncertainty of a single movie becoming a hit where you can have subscription revenue continuing and continuing and continuing. So I think that's good news for people who don't want to go to the movies, not necessarily good news for the movie theaters who were kind of hurting before the pandemic even started and kind of effectively shut them down for the longest time. 
I'm not entirely sure how this is going to play out. And right now it's only HBO Max. There are other studios putting other movies out there. But if that works, I kind of foresee a future in which this is pretty common. So that's something I want to keep an eye out on. Now, that's where I'm going to put my eyes, my ears. I'm putting on podcasts. Podcasts are regaining momentum after mostly Spotify tried to pull a Netflix and make its own content. It's a little bit more complicated than that, but I don't think it's by much. Um, but other than Spotify, which is the kind of owner of content these days, where else do what else do people use to consume podcasts? I ask this because this is a new podcast that I'm recording right now that you're hearing right now. And so I've immersed myself in understanding how podcasts are consumed. I have not looked at podcasts in a long time. I think 2015, 2016 were the big years for podcasts, and it kind of declined since. But now that it's making a big comeback, big names are going behind it. Michelle Obama, Barack Obama, a whole slew of actors, a whole slew of uh, popular people, and just names that you would want to listen to. And we have Joe Rogan and his podcast and how um, successful that is. And we can see, based on downloads, that there are all these, uh, these other clients that are just clients. They're not networks of their own. They're not content creators. And I wanted to see how many downloads they're getting and if people are actually using them. So I looked at the, the eight most popular apps for download in the U.S. App Store specifically. I looked at the U.S. because that's by far the largest market. The margins are crazy. And also because on Android, these apps are almost not at all popular or don't exist at all. So it seems that the uh, slew of podcast apps that exist are really targeting iPhone holders. Why that is is a topic for a different conversation. But based on the data that we have, based on our app intelligence, we estimate that the eight apps together that I'm looking at, and I'll go through them in just a second, have got more than 3 million downloads since the beginning of 2020. Now, that could be a small number in the grand scheme of things, but if you think about podcasts, and if you think about the popularity of podcasts only picking up fairly recently, to me, that's kind of a big number. So... The number one app that is getting most of these downloads, about 30% or just about a million out of those three, is the podcast app. It's a very interesting name for a podcast uh, podcast app. Good for ASO. And then the next one is Podbean, which got just about 645,000. Beyond that, we're looking at CastBox, which got about 40, 481,000 downloads. So the podcast app is about a third of the downloads. Podbean and CastBox. Interestingly, Podbean is also a podcast hosting service, which we actually use to host this podcast. Um, I don't think there's any real relationship between needing to be the host and needing and being able to succeed with downloads, but that's starting to emerge as a relationship. We can see that Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Overcast, Pocketcast, and Castro continue down the list to eight. And if you were paying attention, Google Podcast is number five on this list. I don't know why, but I expected that to be higher. I know Google and it's iOS, and Google is not really known for Google Podcasts, unlike Apple Podcasts, which kind of started this whole thing many years ago. But I just expected that the Google name will bring more downloads and not be number five um, out of just eight. The one I like most out of all these is Overcast, and I've been using it for a long time. I'm not entirely sure why, um, but it just it works. It's as if someone cared about the app, and built an app that I could use, and I haven't really needed to look for anything else. As podcasts continue to grow in popularity and more celebrities are going to jump on the bandwagon and do their own audio-focused content, I think the market for clients is not going to grow. I think it's going to shrink. Um, I, that might sound counterintuitive, but if you think about the market itself, it can't really have that many apps because the users are a finite number. 
it's a large but finite number. So I think over the next year, we're going to see a lot of consolidation. The numbers, the number of downloads is going to go up. But at the same time, the number of apps that are getting it is going to go down, which means this is a good time to really push forward with your app. If you're one of these guys, then it's time to invest in app store optimization. It's time to invest in any sort of marketing that can really help. But if you're not on this list, it means that you still have the chance to get on this list. You just really have to do it. Beyond these apps, it's really up to Spotify and companies like that to continue pushing to have more quality content. And I think we'll continue to see that because that's such a good play for a company like Spotify where the cost of producing a podcast is much lower than the cost of licensing popular music. And because they're the owners of the content, I don't think they really worry about who's going to play it, whether it's going to be played through their own app um, or through one of these other apps, these direct clients, which kind of means that uh, Spotify is really sponsoring some advertisement for any other podcast player that exists. Um, I think it's going to be a really great year this year for podcasts, and I think next year is going to be even better. Um, I'm kind of curious, if you're a podcaster, what do you use to host your podcast? Just for my own curiosity. If you want to share, uh, shoot me an email. Next up, a slightly different kind of take is I read news about Line, the messaging app, which I've been looking at before, I've looked at before, but never really got into because it's mostly based in Japan. So the um, it's a Japanese app made in Japan, and the Japanese government has banned it this week because news emerged that some employees had access to some sensitive data of users. Now, this comes on the heels of a really big year for Line. It's done 9 million downloads in 2019, and that went up to 11 million downloads in 2020, and that's in Japan only, which is its largest market for iOS, and it's third largest market for Android. In 2021, it has already been downloaded 3 million times, and growth on the App Store side, on the iPhone side, has been much higher than before. So I think overall, this app is doing pretty well, and more and more people are getting into it. Um, and that on its own may not be as interesting because an app that's doing well is getting banned by the government. It's not like we haven't seen this before. But what I think the interesting um, point here is that the reliance on, of governments on commercial tech has become re really a big thing. And, and I totally understand why. Between the simplicity and people can just download it. And if they do it on their own and they use it to talk to their friends, you don't need to train them. And it's free. So much less friction to get started with a solution like that. But the more we see this, and we saw this in the US last year, um, and I'm sure we'll see this in other countries in, in the coming months and coming years, that feels to me like that has to end at some point, or it has to change. It can't really be the same, because that leaves so many, so many openings for just potential chaos. How that chaos is going to happen, I'm not sure. But looking at growth of line, growth of downloads of WhatsApp in different countries, namely Brazil, um, and all these other different messaging apps that are really private companies. They're public companies, but they're not uh, government-funded. And being used for government business, um, I think, is going to create an opening for uh, maybe a set of apps that is only targeting these. Is it going to be as good? Hard to tell. Can it be as good? Absolutely. I don't see any reason why not. But it's something that I'm going to keep an eye out on. Now, last for this week is a fun one. Baseball season is here. 
I looked at the beginning of spring training last month, if you remember, in one of the previous episodes. And now it's the season, and we had the season opening a few days ago, and that meant a lot of downloads for the MLB app. The spring training opening day brought just about almost 5,000 downloads for an app that usually gets about 500 downloads a day. And the beginning of the season brought 32,000 downloads, and that's um, on Wednesday of this week. On Tuesday, it also had a similar number. And I imagine that going into the weekend, especially this being a holiday weekend here in the U.S., we're going to see even higher numbers. What's even more interesting is that revenue is even much higher. So I looked at revenue over the, I looked at downloads over the years, and over the years, downloads have looked pretty much the same. Season starts, there's a spike, um, and then immediately it kind of declines, and I guess the postseason spikes again, and then it declines again. And the numbers were pretty much on par with previous years, except for 2020, which was really, really strange. But revenue is not at all the same. Revenue in 2021 has been the highest the app has ever seen. Spring training has never seen so much revenue, which we looked at a few weeks ago. And then revenue this week was uh, pretty high as well. So we estimate that for the month of spring training, the MLB added about $3 million in that revenue from iPhones and Android users. And in the last couple of days, it added $1.2 million in net revenue. And again, that's not even going into the weekend, which is where this is going to happen. And so these are subscriptions. This is revenue that's going to continue and recur as we continue into the season. And I think this was just a, a very good move for the MLB to do this, but also at the same time shows that people really want this content. And eventually things will open up and people will go back to stadiums and to see games in real life. But Stadiums can only hold that many people. The idea that more of this consumption is moving to apps and more people are okay paying for apps, that's really the big trend here. And I think we'll see this across not just sports, um, in general across a variety of different apps. And that's it for this week. If you like any of these insights or you want to find insights for other apps that I didn't talk about, head on to appfigures.com slash intelligence. And if you like the podcast and you haven't subscribed yet, Please subscribe and tell your friends. That's it for this week. Happy Friday.